Greetings and welcome. My name's James White, and we have been engaging in a number of studies of the Christian scriptures, the Bible, why we can believe the Bible, how the Bible came to us, and that is what we want to focus on especially today as we've been talking about issues of inspiration, inerrancy, and all those things, but the real question for a lot of people today is how can we know that the Bible we possess today really accurately reflects what was written by those original writers. Let's say someone accepts all the theological concept that God can reveal himself and he can do so in written language, but how do we know that what we have today is what he gave to us so long ago, especially in light of the fact that, well, history can be a rather turbulent thing. There can be warfare and there can be all sorts of changes over the time of, of the course of human history. And, and so how do we know that these, these uh, very easily destroyed documents, manuscripts, have come down to us in some sort of way that is accurate today? Many people want to make the, the accusation that we simply cannot know, even if it was inspired back then, what we possess today is an, if it's an accurate representation, if it's really come down to us. And so to really understand that, we have to understand a little bit about history because we know that the New Testament especially, we're going to focus on the New Testament. They, we know that we can look at the Old Testament text as well and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the last century, very important in establishing that particular text. But looking especially at the New Testament because most of the controversy exists about that. These were documents written during the time of Roman rule. Now, there was a positive side to that and a negative side to that. The positive side was that the Roman rule over uh, the entire Mediterranean area allowed for ease of communication and ease of travel. And so such languages as Greek were almost universal. Uh, they were more so in certain areas, but especially due to commerce, this was a language that was well known to a large number of people. In fact, if you were, for example, a Galilean fisherman like Peter, it would be good to know a little bit of Greek, especially when a Roman soldier who likewise knows Greek, probably wouldn't be speaking Latin to you, uh, tells you to pick up his pack and carry it for a while. It's good to know what he's saying so you don't wander away and find yourself either in jail or dead. And so such languages as Greek were sort of the lingua franca, the, the world language. The, it, it provided the ability of communicating across vast expanses. The negative part of the Roman uh, rule at the time was once your religion ran afoul of Rome, then that power of Rome could be used to try to suppress or persecute your religious faith. And we know that that's exactly what took place in regards to Christianity. That is, very, very early on, within just a few decades of the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, you have the Roman government deciding that Christianity was not acceptable within its borders, primarily due to the fact that the Romans wanted you to say, Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord, but the Christian faith said, Jesus Kurios, Jesus is Lord, and you couldn't put those two things together. The Christians were unwilling to compromise on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They were unwilling to do that then, and we should be unwilling to do that today as well. And so the Roman Empire is controlling everything, but for those first about 300 years of the Christian faith, Rome is seeking to suppress not only the proclamation of the religion, but also destroy her scriptures. Now, what does this mean? Well, that means if you want to copy the scriptures, you do so 
at the risk of your life. And so when we look at some of the graphics of some of these, these manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, we always need to keep in mind that the people who copied these manuscripts did so at great personal risk. Also means you couldn't exactly go down to the local copy store and run off a couple copies of your Bible. Now, obviously, they didn't have uh, a, a local store that had some uh, photocopy machines in it back then, but they did have scriptoriums. They did have professional people who could make copies of documents. But obviously, once the Roman Empire has said that Christianity is illegal, you can no longer make use of those people. And so many of the, the most, most ancient copies of the New Testament that we have are clearly written by non-professional people by businessmen, by even soldiers. We know that Christianity entered into the Roman armies, uh, by shopkeepers. And so they're not as professional and clear as some of the other documents that exist at that time. Beyond that, we also know, even in the New Testament, that a large portion of the early Christians were poor people. They were slaves. They were those who were not in the upper crust of Roman society, oh yes, uh, there were those as well, but, but the majority of Christians were not the people at the top end of society, they were the people at the lower end, and that means they were not rich people, they did not have great resources. And so, we need to also remember that writing utensils and writing paper, what we would call paper today, the materials they would write upon, not as easy to obtain back then as it is today. The earliest fragments of manuscripts that we have from the New Testament were written on something called papyri. And papyri was made by taking the leaves of the papyrus plant and, and putting them at, at cross angles with one another and drying them and brushing them. Now, that could actually produce a pretty smooth writing surface, but only on one side. Because as you think about a, a leaf of a plant, there's going to be the, the veins in the leaf, and those be put on the back. So most of the time, in, using papyri, you would only write on one side. The irony is that uh, Christians were often so poor that they would write on both sides. So you can imagine trying to write, and you don't exactly have a nice ballpoint pen either, you're using a quill and ink, but trying to write on the rough veined side of a piece of papyri, and yet that's exactly what the Christians did. Now, I have some graphics of some of these. This first graphic is of a tiny little fragment of a manuscript. This is the entire manuscript. It's about this big, manuscript P52, and most scholars are agreed this is the earliest fragment of the New Testament that we have. And P52 is from around the year 125 AD. Now, think about that. That is less than 100 years from the time of the events of Jesus' life. And it's interesting that we know exactly what book this is from. This is from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John. And so, if depending on when John was written, if John was written pre-AD 70, then this is written within 50 years of that time, 50, 55, 60 years of that time. If John is written at a later point, some people want to put him into the 90s, then still we're talking about a very short period of time between the original writing of this gospel and this copy. This would have to be a very, very, very early copy as far as New Testament manuscripts are concerned. And I realize most people are probably not aware how amazing just that little fragment of papyrus is. Why? Real simple. Large majority 
of the ancient works of the world, going back 2,000 years or more, the large majority of them, we don't have any manuscript evidence for those works anywhere near this close in the time frames as we have for the New Testament. Some of the ancient works, it's five, six, seven, nine hundred years between the time of its original composition and the earliest manuscripts we have. But when it comes to the New Testament, we have an embarrassing riches of manuscript evidence far earlier than any other ancient document that anyone could point to. And it is that possession of these documents that helps us to be so confident in our reading of the New Testament. Now, you'll notice, even looking at this little fragment, you can see how frail, after 2,000 years, a piece of papyrus would be, and how it would be very easy, especially at the edges of a piece of papyri, for that to come off. But if you look carefully, even at the text in this picture, if you know anything about the Greek language, you see something about how the originals were written. They were written in what's called unseal text. Unseal text means all capitals, no punctuation, and no space between the words. That is how Greek was written at the time. And that is how the original and early copies of the New Testament were written as well. Here's another example. Here is manuscript P72 from around the year 200. Now, I had the opportunity of actually examining this very sheet of papyri uh, about a decade, a little over, about a decade and a half ago. Uh, it was on display, and, and it was being displayed along with a, a number of other uh, treasures. And uh, personally, I didn't care about uh, any of the, the riches that were a part of this display. This was the only thing I came to see, because P72 is the earliest manuscript edition of 1st, 2nd Peter, and Jude. And this is the beginning of 2nd Peter. And as you look at this particular piece of papyri, it's in tremendous shape. But you can also, if you just look back, you can look at it and you can see, well, I can see some, uh, the fact the lines aren't you know, perfectly straight and, and uh, the, 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 the writing is not perfectly regular. And it doesn't look like it was written by someone who was a professional scribe. Again, that's very common in the early papyri. Why? Because Christians generally didn't have a number of professional scribes do this kind of work for them. But what was so exciting to me is I could read there in 2 Peter and I could see this is the same text that I have today. Those who want to say there's been wholesale corruption of the biblical text over time, you have a major problem because you have P52, P72. We're about to look at P46 and P66 and P, P75 and all these ancient papyri manuscripts. Many of these were lost and buried by the year 300 or the year 400 and have only been discovered in, in, in recent years. Why is that important? Think about it. Many people like to say, well... Uh, the Bible used to teach something like reincarnation. And then at a council in 400 or 500 AD, they took reincarnation out of the Bible. Well, let's say, for the sake of argument, let's examine that. How, is that possible? Would it have been possible for anyone in the year 400 or 500 to come along and gather up all the copies of the New Testament and make wholesale changes in them? Well, of course not. 
we know when this was written. We, we can tell very, very uh, carefully examining the, the, the papyri and things like that around the time when this was written. If that were to happen, then all these ancient manuscripts would only go back to four or five hundred. But there's another problem. If this manuscript was buried in the sand by 300 and you come along in 400 and want to change everything, how are you supposed to find it? How are you supposed to make changes in it? You can't. And so what would happen is if there had been these kinds of wholesale changes in the text of the New Testament in those early years, then as we find even earlier manuscripts, they would show huge changes. They would demonstrate that massive editing has been done in later generations. But as we find earlier and earlier manuscripts, and Christians are overjoyed at the discovery of a new manuscript of the New Testament, because you know what that discovery is going to do? It's going to do what it's done over and over again. It's going to keep establishing and clarifying and proving the accuracy of the transmission of the text in the New Testament. That's what P72 has done. That's what P52 has done. That's what all of these have done. The idea that someone can come along and go, like Dan Brown said in the Da Vinci Code, uh, get rid of all the Gospels that existed up to this point in time and now come up with new ones, flies in the face of every element of documentable history. It simply couldn't happen. And so I'm excited when I get to examine something like this page from P72. And it excites me as well to think about the fact that there was a believer 1,800 years ago who so loved the Word of God that he was willing to risk his life. You see, what probably happened here is this was probably like a businessman, and he travels to a city, and he finds the Christians in that city because Christians love to fellowship with one another. And so they're reading from 2 Peter. And he goes, I've, I've never heard of this book before. What, what is this? Well, this is, one of the, this is one of the letters of Peter, the apostle of Jesus. Really? My fellowship doesn't have this. Could I make a copy of this and, and take it to my, to my fellowship? Now, he's taking a great risk there. He's going to have to travel the, ro the roads with Roman soldiers. And, and if he's stopped and he's searched and he's carrying the Christian scriptures, he could forfeit his life. But more important to him was my brothers and sisters back in my home church, in my home city, they need to hear these words too. And so here was a primitive believer and probably by candlelight hidden away, he has made a copy that has come down to us 1,800 years later. And it was important in that day that the Christians have this. It is important to us today to have these manuscripts. But you see, the early Christians believed that the message of the gospel had to go out to everyone. They didn't try to protect their scriptures and hide them in just one place. The Christian scriptures were never under the control of one governing authority that would determine what their text was. That could never have happened because the church was under persecution from the beginning. It was normally in hiding. And so there would be no way for there to be one controlling organization that could make changes or in some way determine what the text was. 
Instead, there was an explosion of copying. Now, not all that copying was the best copying. I mean, businessmen might skip words and misspell words, but, but the point was there was an explosion of copying. And as these copies then go out across the known world, this then becomes the mechanism whereby Christians can have confidence that there has been no wholesale changing of the text. Because since it went out immediately into all the corners of the Roman Empire, and some of those manuscripts were buried and were out of sight, then when they come to light, we can demonstrate that the text has not changed. You see, if you had a text that was under the control of the government, for example, Let's say you had a, a strong militaristic governmental authority that decides to control the text of a religious book. And we want to make sure that there are no differences in our text of our religious books. And so they gather up all of the copies of this book before it can actually be distributed, before what took place with the Christian scriptures happens where copies are being sent all over the place. When there is still a manageable amount, they gather them all up and they create an official text. And then they only allow the copying of that official text and anything different from that is destroyed. Well, that would give you a very consistent text. No question about it. But it would also preclude you from ever meaningfully claiming that the text you have goes back to the original author or authors. It can only be traced back to that governmental authority and the people that it assigned to create the final version. You can't get past that final version, especially if you destroy the materials that were used to make the final version. And so, oh, it'll give you a nice, clean text. But I submit to you, it does not give you the original text. It can only give you the text that's been approved by that particular governmental committee. And that never happened with the New Testament. Now, you see, once you have some committee that can do these things, couldn't they change things? Couldn't they change what the original authors intended? And how would you know? They've destroyed the manuscripts that came before. But that can't happen with the New Testament because there was never a time when all of those manuscripts could, in fact, be obtained by anyone to make that kind of wholesale change. That's another one of the reasons for the advantage of the New Testament over other religious books because, you see, the New Testament was not written by just one person in one place. It was written by a number of authors in a number of different places. And so the copies of those books would, would be going out from completely different places in the Roman Empire. That's another reason for recognizing no one ever had the power or ability to control this text and to make changes. It must represent what those original authors intended. Because even, you might say, well, A.D. 200, it's, there's still time there. There's time for someone to make changes. Here's the problem. When we examine the text of the New Testament in the Greek manuscripts, and I, for example, I have with me today a critical edition of the Greek New Testament. And I can open this critical edition of the Greek New Testament up, and at the bottom of the page are rather copious notes ingenious citation system that allows me to see where there are variances in the wording 
between the manuscripts of the New Testament. Because obviously, as we're going to get into in further studies, when you're handwriting something, people are going to spell things differently. They're going to skip a line or skip a word. That's why we have so many manuscripts. We compare them with one another. But I can look at this text and I can say, ah, here, this particular manuscript, this particular word has the word and in it. And this particular manuscript does not have the word and in it. Now, I realize and is not exactly the biggest word in the world, but the point is this information is available to me. I have access to this information. In the context of someone who has a governmentally promulgated text that you destroy all the preceding material, you can't create this. You can't make a critical edition of a book like that. Because you've destroyed the evidence that would allow you to go earlier and earlier and earlier. And when you have those early texts, and we examine this text, we discover something. When someone makes a mistake, the mistake hangs around in the copies that are made. You might say, that doesn't sound like a good thing. It is a good thing. Because you see, we can recognize what the mistakes are. The tenacity of the text, that's the term that is used, the tenacity of the text, the fact that even a mistaken reading, a reading that actually doesn't even make any sense, that sometimes happens, stays in the text. We have evidence that it's there. You know what that also guarantees us? The original is still there too. The original doesn't just disappear. And if there was this wholesale editing, even before our earliest papyri manuscripts, then when we compared all these manuscripts, there'd be all these divergent directions and all these different readings, and there'd be, a, there'd be massive differences in the various copies. And we don't have the massive differences in those various copies. In fact, you could take the papyri manuscripts alone, even before we get to the great vellum manuscripts that are written on leather, which are much fuller and large, and they contain larger sections of Scripture. You could take the papyri manuscripts alone, and if you simply applied the same standards to that, the New Testament you would derive from that would be the same as what we have today. And so you see, those who try to make these kinds of arguments simply are not recognizing the nature of how the New Testament was communicated to us, and that this explosion of copying right in the time of the apostles themselves is what preserves the New Testament text for us today. Now, since you have non-professionals copying that, you have what are called scribal variants or textual variants, where some manuscripts will have a word and some will not. But you see, we then compare them with one another knowing how scribes worked to determine what the original text was. So the cost of being able to say, no one gathered up the New Testament texts and removed major teachings and destroyed the teachings of Christ, the cost of that is we need to do textual criticism. We need to examine this wealth of manuscripts that we have and determine what the original text was. And sometimes we need to put a little note at the bottom of the page that says, some manuscripts say this and some manuscripts say that. Is that such a great cost for the gospel to be able to go across all the known world 1,500 years before the printing press is invented? Is that such a great cost to being able to say one thing we can say with absolute certainty is the idea that the Bible has been changed in wholesale, doctrines put in, doctrines taken out, is absolutely disproven by the documented facts themselves? I submit to you this is the very mechanism that God has used to preserve his word for us today. And we thank him for it.
Thank you for listening.